Luck on Sunday. Brought to you by Whirlpool. Bet with the world. Welcome back. Hope you're enjoying the show. Jonathan Harding, Harry Cobden, Safi Osborne here for this week's Talking Points. And we will start uh, with uh, black market bookies. Har uh, um, Jonathan, um, you have been um, following the affordability story very closely in the Racing Post. Tell me a little bit more about why um, the black market debate has come into the spotlight this week, just a day ahead of the parliamentary debate tomorrow. Well, it's been a lot of good work by my colleague and friend of the show, of course. Lee Mossad has done some brilliant digging into the scale of the black market. Mm. Um, by that, I mean betting in the unregulated market. So this is if you can't get on with a traditional bookmaker, you might go somewhere else where you're offered a bet and you can bet through WhatsApp. There's various means by which to do it. Um, it's put forward really as one of the, the key reasons why you need to be careful in how you regulate the regulate betting because you don't want to push people to what is essentially an unsafe, unregulated area. Uh, we know that area. turnover is massively down. Of course, course. Andrew Rose, Chief Executive of the Great Gambling Commission, is, is um, persistently uh, disagreeing with the uh, racing's construct that everybody is fleeing to, to the black market. Yeah, and I think also there's, there's perhaps an attitude in government that, well, bookmakers would say that, wouldn't they? With, you know, if you're trying to regulate the bookmaking industry, they go, well, if you overregulate us, they're all going to go to this really unsafe place that you don't have an understanding of. And you might go, really? But actually what this has done, I think this coverage and has just put a, a real spotlight on the fact that it's a very real situation. The black market does exist. It, it doesn't offer the same protections to punters as mm. the regulated market. And m even from sort of a racing point of view, it's all betting turnover that's going not coming back into racing. What we don't know is the extent to which that the decline in turnover is dictated by the black market and the extent to which it's dictated by restrictions and the extent to which it's dictated by bookmakers trying to preempt what might come in terms of uh, the, the, enact, the enacting of the affordability legislation. Yeah, and there's so many strands to this and it's difficult to, like you say, put an exact figure on all of these things. Are, but you can look at the black market and there's been some studies, the Hong Kong Jockey Club's been quite hot on this. There have been some studies into the scale of that market and that will give you a sense sort of on a, on a global scale, but kind of to Britain, the, the extent to which this might be detracting. From We're going a bit out of order here, a bit helter-skelter, but um, I was trying to spare you uh, a six-minute monologue, and I wanted to talk about the Aintree uh, Grand National weights. 34 now, of course, in the race, rather than 40, Harry. Um, here's some selected weights. There's no um, jiggery-pokery with these weights anymore. Martin Greenwood just plays a, a pretty straight bat. I'm guessing you're going to be riding three under three five, aren't you? Sitting there on the <coughs> ten stone thirteen. Yeah, um, he he would be my intended ride. Looking at it um, from 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 today, um, he was obviously very good last time. I think he's got a nice weight. Um, he he'll obviously need to need to brush up on his jumping a little bit, but um, yeah, he he'll be my my intended mount for the race. Okay, has he got the ticker for it? I think so. Um, I think he probably gets knocked a little bit more than he should do just because he holds his head quite high but um, and and some people probably doubt how genuine he is but uh, he's done that ever since he was three years old and um, he's had a few breathing issues in the past so um, he's had his wind done a bit but um, only you know because you're the person on top 
And you, I know you well enough to know that if you think one's not putting it in, you'll, you'll say. Yeah, um, look, uh, he, 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 he is a genuine horse and he does try. Um, look, whether we're good enough to win the race, I don't know. But um, Are you well handicapped enough? Yeah, probably not. But um, he would be a good ride. Okay, who do you think is well enough handicapped to win the race, Jonathan? I think um, Marla Mission's quite an interesting one. I think they've done well to almost protect his mark. Um, I think he would have a good chance looking at it. It's difficult to say, isn't it? Because well, he's been locked in a cupboard all season. Well, that's well, that's yeah. They've been running it. You know, they've been protecting that mark. This is is the be all and end all. And I think he's the type of horse, to my eye, that would have a real real chance. But it's hard because you have a lot of what you call sort of kind of class horses at the top of the market. If a few of those don't turn up, then the whole thing changes. You said earlier in the programme that you know, like everybody, you grew up dreaming of winning the Derby. Did you not? dream of winning the Grand National, given that you would basically jump anything in cold blood? <laughs> um, I probably watched the Grand National and for two days afterwards thought, yeah, I want to see that, and then watched a bit more jump racing and saw the amount of people that hit the deck and probably thought, nah, no, no thanks. <laughs> yeah, because you don't hit the deck on the flat at all. <laughs> uh, a lot less often than they, they hit the deck on the... And the way I seem to hit the deck, I don't think I'd bounce much. <laughs> No, no rides for Safi Osborne in this year's Grand National. Uh, the parliamentary debate takes place tomorrow, um, Jonathan. What can we realistically expect? John Gosden has been writing an opinion piece for your, for your newspaper ahead of this. Do you think his and other contributions will have a significant uh, impact on what, on what is said in Parliament tomorrow? I would love to think so. Um, I think the fact that the petition that prompted this debate at Westminster Hall hit 100,000 signatures in less than four weeks speaks to the, the strength of feeling about this, both from a punter perspective of we don't want to provide personal information to actually racing, spelling out the damage that this is likely to cause. We had Julie Harrington talk about the potential consequences for staffing. I think one in seven could potentially lose their jobs. That's obviously worst case scenario, up to 50 million a year. Look, we've We've spelled out the damage. Mm -hmm. This debate has been prompted. You'd hope that MPs would come along and, and recognise, actually, that there are massive ramifications, potentially, to what is no doubt well-intended legislation. We're probably going to hear familiar things, Nick, to be perfectly honest with you. You know, we, we see the problem. We're not going to introduce affordability checks unless they're genuinely frictionless again. Um, Were you I'd surprised to see John Gosden say that, you know, go back to the idea that we should move to a, a turnover-based levy model rather than a gross profits levy model? I mean, everyone sees the logic of trying to steer away from a model that is based on punters' losses. I get that. But given the fact that we're in a situation of almost terminally declining turnover, now is not the time to be asking for a turnover-based model, is it? And it's not what the sport wants, according to its leaders. No, it was, I, I was interested in that myself. Mm. Haven't the BHA and the Jockey Club and Arc, haven't they all gone away from the idea of a turnover-based levy model? They seem to have. It seems to be you know, bets struck by British punters on all racing. Um, it's interesting that the levy reform has become so closely allied to this gambling review. It's almost become a sort of subsection. And the government itself recognises that you need to sort it out amongst yourselves, reform the levy, ideally before April, um, as almost a concession that the gambling review and affordability checks is going to have a knock-on on the finances. We might get onto a little bit of levy in a second, but I, I think the focus needs to be on sort of growing the pot as much as dividing it fairly. Yeah, we're going to talk to Peter Savile a bit later on uh, about the commercial arrangements between uh, racecourses and, and horsemen. What we're also 
talking about at the moment is negotiations between the racing industry and the betting industry in a more traditional sense because this levy deadline as stipulated by the government um, is April the 26th is it something like sounds that? about right yes yeah, yeah, end of April yeah. mid to sort of late April anyway so you've been int interviewing Michael Duggar the um, Betty and Gaming Council chief executive this week. I was hoping to follow up your interview on this morning's programme, but he scurried away to warmer climbs, I think, before I could get a hold of him. Yeah, and it, it was a really interesting uh, interview because I spend a lot of time, as we all do, speaking to people within racing about kind of their needs and what they need in terms of levy and prize money and everything else. It's quite good speaking to Michael to get almost the bookmaker perspective. Now, naturally, that's taken with a pinch of salt. He represents the major bookmakers, so he's, there's vested interest, just as there is in racecourses, talking about levy reform yes. and things like that. If, but, you, if you were the chief executive of the Racecourse Association, you'd expect to have a racecourse-biased position. If you are the chief executive of the Betting and Gaming Council, you are going to have a an agenda to promote exactly. the interest of the major bookmakers. But he's, you know, he's a, he has a racing interest, he understands the racing industry. I thought some of the points he raised were interesting. Essentially, they were that levy reform isn't a sticking plaster. It won't solve racing's financial concerns fully. Um, and if you were to tax bookmakers too much and make racing unprofitable to them, you threaten the whole thing falling over and then moving elsewhere, which is slightly ominous. Um, those discussions are taking place in a, the right spirit, I'm told, so hopefully they reach an agreement before April. I thought his thoughts on sort of echoing Conor McGinn in engaging Labour MPs were particularly interesting. Yeah, and um, it appears that the BHA have been making um, some efforts. Yeah, they have, and what worried me a little bit was this suggestion that maybe Labour MPs are harder to reach because they're metropolitan. And as, as Michael Douglas pointed out, that's possibly a little bit making excuses before the fact. I think they need to do a little bit more work with Labour. BHA recognises that and is doing it. Um, you might, it's easy to say that should have been done earlier, but yeah, that's at least a, a broadly a positive. And um, it was interesting to hear as well about his relationship with the Gambling Commission and how they're trying to work out an interim framework for affordability checks before this genuinely frictionless system everyone's talking about can actually come in. All right, hopefully we might know a little bit more tomorrow as this parliamentary debate uh, takes place. I wonder how many MPs will show up. How are you betting? They seem engaged. You know, we've had a fair few interviews with Would MPs. Would you be buying at 20? I think, they'll be, I think we might be pleasantly surprised, but I'm an optimist. OK, let's uh, talk a little bit about the influence of racing in the Middle East at the moment. Obviously, uh, Saudi Cup last night. Uh, Qatar's big fixture last week where Safi was a winner. Um, racing in Bahrain seems to have got greater prominence because a lot of British trainers have been winning out there. Ian Williams uh, and George Baker and Hugo Palmer and uh, John Quinn and Sean Quinn and others. Um, and I'm wondering, Safi, from your perspective as someone who's quite close to a lot of these horses and your father's been doing very well as well, whether it is taking competition away from Britain and the, there's horses leaving the Middle East, or whether it's actually promoting horses running through the winter and will have a positive knock-on effect on the all-weather pattern here. I think there's both sides of it. I think some of those better quality horses, there's fewer races for them to run over here. Um, it also makes buying these horses a lot more justifiable to owners. Um, there's actually races for them to win that money back. But on the other side, it also makes the market a lot harder to buy in because the high-profile owners in the Middle East mm -hmm. come here and buy sort of geldings that probably wouldn't have much value um, over to stay over here yeah. um, and take them away from this country um, because 
their only residual value is what they can win back. Right. So actually, um, domestically, domestically based owners are more likely to have an excuse to go and buy these horses and then to keep them here rather than to then sell them off to Australia or Hong Kong or whatever. Yeah, definitely. It just means that there's more options for them to actually make some money. There's unbelievable prize money out in the Middle East and um, it, I don't think that can be knocked in any way. Um, yeah, it obviously takes some horses away from us, but at the same time it um, allows owners to sort of actually, and also it allows owners to go away at a time of the year where it's, it's pretty unpleasant weather around here and having a horse running around Wolverhampton or Maidan, it's not going to be sort of a very tricky argument. I'm still amazed that the, your guys weren't at Kempton yesterday. I can see why they're out there. I think it was 900 plus grand to the winner, wasn't it? Yeah, and a little bit of sunshine, I guess. Yeah, a little bit of sunshine. But you maybe could have celebrated in a different style at Kempton. Uh, that's the only. Yeah. That's the only point. Jed Mason's son was there. He was having a good celebration. Was he? Yeah. Uh, Jed Mason seems a great enthusiast for the game. Loves the sport, um, you know, and he's fantastic towards all the staff. He's a very generous man. Okay, let's talk about Sunday nights because they um, continue. The trial is still underway. We, we're not to the end of the six yet, are we? You know, I'm slightly lost track. You put me on the spot there. Safi will we're tell me. Not, we're not at the end. We're not, not at the end, end of the six. No. Um, so, have you ridden Sunday nights? I've ridden one, yeah. And what was it like? I mean, I don't think there was a few people that were sort of unimpressed in being there, but I think we're in the entertainment industry. If we can, sort of, people don't normally work on weekends, and I think we probably have to accept that. Um, if you can get more people through the gates and it allows more prize money, then it's something that we've got to accept. I think where you take, you've got to give somewhere and whether it means that they have less racing on a Monday or a Tuesday. Mm. Um, That's the key, isn't it? It's what do yeah, you get? Yeah, I think. Do you get anything back? Yeah, I, I, I understand sort of, this sport is fairly relentless and I, I, you, I don't know, can't talk for jump jockeys, but flat jockeys now just don't, there's no break really. Um, it stays going all year round. And um, like, if you're gonna race for more prize money and get more money, I don't think it's something that we can complain about. But um, yeah, there has to be a give somewhere. Okay. Harry, do you feel that the jump jockeys schedule <coughs> is acceptable? Um, I think there would be a, a few things that you could possibly change in the fact that there's obviously a lot of racing and in some cases probably too much. Mm. Um, but at the same time, it's one of those things, isn't it, where uh, this week I probably won't ride until Wednesday or Thursday. Yeah. Um, so there are more kind of natural ebbs and flows. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's probably purely out of choice as well you know there are probably rides there that I could go and ride but I'm thinking Cheltenham's around the corner um, I don't want to you know get a fall this week and or get a ban or anything like that before the big racing so um, are you taking more outside rides this year taking a lot more and I think last year I had five four hundred and forty rides or something and I've had you know probably getting on 600 now and we're ten weeks away from this. and does, does Paul Nichols take a view if he sees you on one and thinks or you shouldn't be writing that. He's passed the odd comment, I must admit. Um, <laughs> but Touchwood, my agent, Sam Strong's done a very good job. And well, of course, he used to yeah, work for him, yeah, didn't he? Yeah. So he knows him inside he, out. He knows exactly how he works. So, yeah, no, we've, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's gone very well. But if there's a, you know, 98 rated 
with a couple of P's and F's by its name. Yeah, I, I, I must admit, I've ridden a few uh, rated a lot less. I think I'm the lowest rated jumper I've ridden this year is probably 68 or 64, I think. Um, but it did win, so uh, yeah, it was worth riding. That must be quite fun, actually, getting a, getting a 64 rated horse to win. Think of the pleasure you're giving the owner of that yeah, horse. No, it, was, it was good. And, and you know, I'll, to, to be fair, I'll ride any horse in any race that's got a chance. Uh, the, 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 the actual grade of the race makes no difference. You know, if they've got a chance, then I'll ride them. And is that, is that a deliberate change in mindset? Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, two years ago, I, would as, I was sort of, you know, thinking quality, 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 and there was a 0 to 100, I wouldn't, wouldn't have ridden one. But uh, um, John Llewellyn, I rode in a cellar for John Llewellyn last week at Fakenham, and he said uh, in his Welsh accent that I could be the first uh, champion jockey to have not won a cellar. <laughs> <laughs> That would be quite a feat, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah. So uh, yeah. Uh, we will discuss this a little bit more in just a, in just a while. Um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, high-profile owners or owners from other uh, walks of life who are uh, casting a reflective glow on on the sport. We saw obviously yesterday with Sir Alex Ferguson. He's been involved in the game for 30, 40 years. But uh, Graham McDowell and Brooks Kepka just touched off with "Give Me Five by. Um, by Harry on, on Calif de Burley yesterday. Jonathan, you seem quite sort of engaged by the idea that the sport still has the power to pull people of profile from other walks of life. And, you know, it needs every bit of help it can get at the moment. And that's exactly right. It does need every bit of help it can get. And British Racing's always on the lookout for owners. And to have these recognisable guys come in and not only come in I think we were sort of discussing just outside about Harry Redknapp would be a brilliant example of someone who's it's not a case of he just throws his money in and then watches from afar he was there at Kempton he was taking photos with people he was engaging he's genuinely passionate about it I think same Sir Alex same Graham McDowell and it's it's a great advert isn't it of course it cuts both ways as we've found out recently with the issue with Monbeck Genius, who is owned by Baroness Moan, who's in the news for possibly um, less good reasons. Uh, and uh, we, we've seen uh, one of the owners of Stumptown is very much in the news for, for the wrong reasons at the moment with the issue in, in Tralee. Um, so it does cut both ways. Be careful what you wish for sometimes. Yeah, it does. Um, but I think the net positive, really, um, through association, because if you're somebody who's thinking of getting into ownership and you, you see a Sir Alex or you're a football fan and you read about Sir Alex having, having winners and you read about Harry Redknapp or you're a golf fan and you read about Graham McDowell's got a race course with Brooks Kepka. I mean, Brooks Kepka's had a runner at Kempton yesterday, a five-time major winner. That crossover can only be a good thing. And Was we he at Kempton yesterday? Brooks Kepka. No, he didn't make it. <laughs> They're on their way to the Middle East for the golf, but Graham McDowell managed to get an extra way, day away, he was saying, from the family to watch. He was so desperate to watch his runner at Kempton that he managed to wiggle an extra day before going out to golf. The most amazing thing about that was the story that Harry Derham beat him in a nearest to the pin competition, and then he had yeah. to buy the horse. He was telling us on the show, wasn't he, a couple of weeks he ago? He must be some golfer. Yeah. Um, OK, those were this week's talking points. Luck on Sunday, brought to you by Whirlpool. Bet with the world.